0: Hello, and welcome to the In The Deep End podcast. I'm Jesse, this is Damiano. What's going on today?
1: Hello. So today we have a very special guest, who is Alasdair Beckett King. I'm surely pronounced that wrong, so I'm sure Alasdair will correct me later. Um, And he's a comedian, he's a game developer, and he's a writer. Uh, Surely also other things that I've forgotten, but again, I'm sure it will fill me in later (laughs) about anything that I've gotten wrong. And yeah. We'll just begin our little chat. So, first things first. Uh, what I wanted to know, Alasdair, what I was curious to know is, uh, where did you get your um, your inspirations for uh, making comedy from producing little, you know, little skits that you uploaded line, little videos? What, what 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 is the inspiration?
2: Well, first of all, hello, Damiano and Jesse. Hi. Thank you for having me on your hello. show. Hello. I think you pronounced my name correctly, but with your accent, which is pretty <laughs> close. Mom, I want you... to say Italian. Is it an Italian accent? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. So the correct pronunciation of my name is with an Italian accent, and most people say it wrong, um, but only Italians say it correctly. So absolutely perfect. Um, so I, so I, if um, if your listeners and slash viewers don't know, I do... I I call them funny videos, which feels like I'm overselling them a little bit. I do funny videos, uh, in quotes, on Twitter and YouTube. Um, And some people think they're funny. However, I read the comments, so not everyone thinks they're funny. And some people, like, watch all of them to tell me that they're not funny. And it's like, there's other things on YouTube. Like, if you don't like it, stop watching. (laughs) Just, uh, you don't need to tell me week on week that you didn't like the new one either. It's like, why, do you, are you subscribed to a channel you don't like? (laughs) <laughs> waiting for me to come up with a joke you find funny. That's cool. I don't know what I can do. Yeah, we can give me those. some, <laughs> give me feedback. Yeah, ever, anybody who puts anything out in the internet understands that. There are, uh, I, I, and I don't think it's always malicious. It's just that uh, um, hey, people have got opinions; they want to share them. Um, so that got quite self pitying quite quickly. So I, um, I do stand up comedy, and uh, over the last two years, that's been quite difficult. And so I have been doing more videos. Uh, to as a way of well normally you'd be trying to write stand live shows in front of audiences and you'd be trying out material like that and you can't do that if you're if you're locked down or if gigs are being cancelled because of for instance a global pandemic. I'm the real victim here uh, <laughs> is what I'm saying um feel free to trim those words out if you're going to be demonetized <laughs> on YouTube. Um, I, I'm not. Affra- I'm not afraid of uh, being cancelled. Uh, it's just a, if the word pandemic are going to appear in the, um, in, in, what is it? The automatically generated subtitles. You could yes. be right at the bottom of the queue. Delete that bit, or bleep it. Um, have I answered your question? I've forgotten what it was.
1: Uh, yeah, but the, the other part of the question was the the inspirations for your. Um... Yeah, yeah, I want, I want to
0: cut in and, and just before you answer that and say my favourite skit of yours was the uh, Scandinavian crime drama one.
2: Thank um, you. Uh, it, it is a lot of people's favourite one. And some people are very angry that I haven't done more Scandinavian <laughs> crime like, <laughs> like, do another one of those. It's like you've already had that one. I don't know what you want. <laughs> you've had it. That was it. it was 40 seconds long. Sorry. Um, yes, if I could... Um, if I, yeah, if I could go viral with every video, that would be okay, um, but um, it's not the way it works. Um, one of the things that I found tricky is that a lot of people react to popular uh, new shows or current events, and I'm always years behind on the shows. So I'm spoofing like all of the Scandinoirs I've been watching over the last 10 years, or, uh, or Star Trek The Next Generation, a 28-year-old show. Uh, because that is the shows I was watching um, during lockdown
1: mm-hmm. uh, but uh, of course I have to ask did you already add, uh, add you know all producers of Scandinavian crime dramas ask you to be a special guest on their episodes because I, I would think at this point it would be you know
2: normal is there, is there is there a podcast about that Have I misunderstood your question Ah
1: I don't know. Maybe should we start a podcast on Scandinavian crime dramas? Or so something? I think I
2: misunderstood your question. I apologize. Okay,
1: okay. No, it was just a, um, it was just a joke. In that, did you get actually invited by any producers from Scandinavian crime dramas? Oh
2: actually, <laughs> no, I misunderstood. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely think I it should have been treated as an audition type, and I should have been given <laughs> at least a walk-on part in one of them. But no, not a word. I think they were every every person I spoke to for, who was from. Uh, who was from a nordic region they all thought ah what you're doing the accent from like one country over so the swedes all went (laughs) classic norwegian accent and the norwegian said yep he sounds icelandic so (laughs) i think we can agree that i wasn't doing a very good accent
0: and so along those same lines are you going to be the new indiana jones after your, your, you know, one of your. Latest I ones. think
2: it's a yeah. That it's the the worst. The I, so my re, most recent video was spoofing um, the the scene where people say, "Not so fast!" I'll be taking that in um, in films like Indiana Jones and much less good films like Red Notice. And the worst thing about doing those ones is you just realize how much less handsome you are than. <laughs> Hollywood stars, the, like the uh-huh. Scandinois. everyone looks like me in a Scandinoise, it's fine, but when I'm being Harrison Ford, you go like, oh no, he is quite good looking, that guy, yeah, yeah, that's annoying.
1: <laughs> I like that new Scandinavian crime drama, everyone is Alice there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd
2: watch it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you watch it. <laughs> It's, um, yeah, it's like, you can. Uh, you could be the modern Eddie Murphy, you know, in...
2: Uh... Yes, yes, I, I agree. I, so rarely has my act been compared to Eddie Murphy's. I appreciate <laughs> someone finally noticing that I am my generation's... I'm the white English Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and now that's been said on our podcast, I can quote it. Great. Right. Uh, I, can... I can put that on posters. The, 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 the white headlines. English Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat>
1: Yeah. Um, so, but along with your um, funny videos, as you said, um, you've also been. Uh, I've also made
2: some unfunny videos. Yes.
1: Yes. Also, yes. But um, you've also been uh, writing uh, for uh, some games. For example, uh, a game that we've recently talked about on the show, basically the last episode, uh, which is Unforeseen Incidents.
2: So, oh, yes yeah. yeah um a game about a uh, virus sweeping for yeah. the, the world what <laughs> do you know but i swear we didn't mean to predict <laughs> reality with that game uh, yes uh, well uh, first of all um I, I i i haven't heard your previous episode so i don't know what your take on it was i hope you didn't hate it um i hope you we liked some hard. of it at least
1: we didn't uh, we, we didn't hate it i, I uh, actually but back when we recorded this i hadn't Played it again because I played it when it was released, so my memory was kind of, kind of, well, my memories kind of faded. Uh, but I've played it again, so now I got kind of a fresh take. on it. Um, But yeah, I'm curious to ask what again. What uh, what did you bring to the table when it came time to you know to collaborate on writing unforeseen incidents? So what what, what did you do? What was your
2: yeah? Well, that's what's it's important to note, of course. That it's a, it was a collaboration. I was a co-writer with um, Marcus from Backwood Studios, who is who's. Who was the project leader and the, and the lead writer? Mm-hmm. So um, the the way that worked is I I'm not a translator I, and so t- occasionally I've been credited as translating the game from German to English, which is like, I wish I could, but um, I don't know how. Um, so I think I, I think the kind of the way of working that we came up with I think it's unique. I'm not sure I'm not I've never heard anybody else writing a game in two languages at once, which is what we did so uh, Marcus like many Germans speaks very very good English but it's um but it's not he's not fluent uh, oh, no no he, he is really what is it it's that it's that Germans speak sort of Denglish, where they speak a very a perfectly grammatical version of English which is exactly how Germans speak English and not exactly how <laughs> British or Americans or Australians or Canadians or wherever you are. it's 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 its own thing uh, because they speak it so well and you you spot certain constructions where you think yeah there's nothing wrong with that sentence, but that's how Germans say things mm. not how uh, Americans would say it. And so what we did fairly early on they had um, a, an outline and uh, a demo and the the publisher um, brought me in and uh, we started working together. So we wrote the game together in in parallel mm. um, He wrote probably wrote about half of the game in uh, German and English first um, and I would rewrite his his English and I probably wrote about the other half of the game in English first and then he would rewrite it into mm-hmm. German and as well as you know rewriting my my English where, as if and uh, sort of back and forth so it's a very weird way to make a game to sort of translate it as you're going but what it means is that the, the English and German versions are both unique because there are some Jokes, for instance, that are different in the English and the German version, inevitably. And neither of them are the original. And it, because. And some fans are quite, um, oh, I must play it in whichever language is the original language. You know, people who are bilingual are used to translations being really poor. And especially in adventure games, clues yeah. not making sense because they've been translated literally. And the only answer in this case is that neither language is the original language, or they're both the original language, because half of the game was written in English and half of the game was written in German. Um, which I think might it might be unique. It's it was certainly a really fun way of working, and I think it means that the English script is it doesn't suffer from the translation problems that some German to English games have. I hope.
0: So, so when you say you know you worked uh, on writing the game, did, did you sort of develop half of the story then of what you know what was it's going It's harder to, to, to happen decide
2: or... that. It's it's Marcus's project, so um so he had the final say about any story things. But we did work, uh, I, you know, I worked on puzzle design with him, and we did work on, you know, uh, a lot of the characters uh, developed a lot uh, and changed quite a lot after I came on board. Uh, but it's a it's a push and pull thing. It's a suggestion. Some of them are accepted, some of them are rejected, um, right. and uh, and yeah, the you know the backwards crew get the final say. If there's something in the game that they really like that I don't like, it stays in and. Uh, and there's something I really like that they don't like. It doesn't go in. Um, but for the most part, I think we were in agreement, of, you know, because you, you you work, it's quite nice working on someone else's project in a weird way, because you don't have the, the overall responsibility for, is everything going to work? Uh, but you are, you, and you can sort of put your, um, the ego that's attached to that away and just think, how can I make this person's thing as, as good as it can be? Can, how can I help them make, what they want to do as well as i can and that's quite fun
1: mm-hmm. um so so basically what you said is that you you influenced each other a bit over the course of writing the game but yeah basically the, the main idea i think was is so the, the idea about the virus the...
2: yes yeah. so that all came from marcus i didn't i didn't come in with um like any premises yeah. and uh, you know, and the, and the, you know, the structure of it, the, the locations that you were going to move through in the game, that was all, you know, those were created. They weren't all, you know, about uh, maybe half of the art assets had been created by the time I came on board. So uh, so I had some influence over, like, the locations towards the end of the game, but less at the start, because a, a lot of it had already been created, which is also quite nice, because um, I think I wrote probably most of the interactions in the, in the rooms, so... So, and if you've played a point and click adventure game and you've you played this game, you know that a fair amount of the time you spend with the character is is interacting with things around the character, and it's it's often a good place for jokes. But we tried to, um, as well. I, I, when it was pitched to me, it was pitched as a comedy game, and I think it's a very funny game. I, I hope it's a very funny game, it's definitely got jokes in it, yeah, but um. But my, but uh, I said to the publisher, and I think that was the line they went: is that th- this is a science fiction thriller that also has jokes in it, and so the uh, the funny angle it isn't emphasised very strongly in the in the marketing blurb, which I also helped work on, or in the trailer, which I edited. So the trailer ends with a little joke, but it doesn't have crazy jokes all the way through because it's mainly se- it's mainly selling the story. Yeah. Um, and the way we make it work is that, that we have a main character who's um, uh, a fairly archetypal and click protagonist, and that he's quite handy. He likes to collect things, uh, and he's a bit of a loser. And uh, but uh, his he it, it was very important for me for him not to be a dickhead protagonist because there were so many of those. It felt like when we when we were making it. Whatever it was, five or six years ago, it felt like a lot of the new adventure games that were coming out, and I don't want to name any names, a lot of them relied, I'm talking about Deponia, a lot of them relied on <laughs> dickhead protagonists for the comedy. And I thought, can we have a character who makes jokes and wisecracks but isn't but is is essentially a decent person, is essentially a kind person who you like. <clears throat> and I hope that worked. And I hope that the the interactions in the space we tried to use those as an opportunities to feed in bits of backstory or tell you more about the character. So often in, in old adventure games, you used to click on the car and the protagonist would say, it's a car, because you were dealing with about nine pixels. And there's a fairly good chance that you couldn't tell what it was yeah. you were looking at. And that's not the case anymore. And I still occasionally play something where they're like, it's a car, that's my hat. It's my front door. I said, well, I already know all of this information, so you've wasted time getting a voice actor to record that. So hopefully, um, but, you know, what we said was, okay, well, when we're at Harper's hometown, lots of the things you click on will trigger memories. So it's like, oh, hey, we always used to hang out here when we were kids. So, so it, it, hopefully it's fleshing things out. And then when he's in a big city, he doesn't like the big city. Um, every, you know, he's very critical of things because he's feeling out of place there rather than just flatly describing the world around him. And I think it worked because the the positive reviews, I, I read them all, the positive reviews all really liked spending time with the main character. And it, it, it was a common feature of them that they said, you know, we like, you know, we it, it's really, you know, this guy's funny and we, we enjoy spending time with him. And the reviews, the, the negative reviews didn't like him. And they were like, oh, he makes too many jokes. Or like, I just didn't like this guy. And that, uh, and that's that's the way it's going to be because I think if you don't like the protagonist in an adventure game, well, you're not going to be jumping over anything or shooting anyone. Uh, the also the important detail there is that the majority of them liked him, and the majority of the reviews were positive. But I think that that I'm I think that means that we did our job because not everybody's going to like it. So I think it means it worked.
0: Yeah, I think I think that that's one of the things that things that sticks out to me was. Um... You know, Harper is very relatable. Like, he, he's a very normal sort of everyday person. I yeah. think the game has a lot of character, and it, I think it does well to kind of... He's not a superhero, but he's not, you know... Like you say, he's not a dickhead. He's just kind of your normal guy trying to get by in in this kind of small town.
2: Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, I suppose he's an everyman who isn't quite an everyman because he's caught in the middle of a, a, a global conspiracy. But... He's an nord- hes supposed to be an ordinary person, uh, and and there are people, you know, the scientists and uh, and and uh, clever journalists, and so we, you know, because there's, there's there are puzzles in the game. Well, what what's Harper's skill is well, he fixes things. You know, he's a handyman. So let's see how how can a handyman's skills help him deal with uh, you know a a broken saw desk or uh, uh, maybe an, it's a bit Indiana Jonesy maybe in in places. Uh, uh, a conspiracy adventure uh, and i think we came up with not happy with all of the puzzles but um but i think there's, there's a lot of places where we've come up with uh, plausible reasons that he would collect together bits of wire and things and try and fix machines and uh, yeah so that's i'm, I'm glad um, i'm glad that comes across to some extent
1: yeah, because we' are re- referencing what you what you just said. I've noticed that in, uh, in, in the game the, the character actually says different things when you click on things like a couple of times so it doesn't just repeat the same line. So it would just give you some more details when looking at the item. So again, it's probably something that you, you really wanted to put in to avoid the, the thing of that, oh, it's just a glass, just a card, just a- yeah.
2: And that was that was a, a definitely a case where um, Marcus was right because it's a single click interface uh, which is which is normal in lots of games but very controversial among people who like <laughs> to clicks uh, which means there's no you know uh, look take open close lick smell touch tickle there's no um, there's no left click right click you can click on everything once and then he does the thing and so um, what we did and I don't know why more point more single click games don't do this is um, the the games like Broken Sword used to give you two options, you could left click or right click so you could examine or interact.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and now people are playing. I mean, I, I, I wrote a game a few years ago, it uses exactly that, that format. And I have watched people playing it and they don't right click. They play the whole game, and they never examine anything, and then they write reviews where they said that the puzzles didn't make sense and they yeah. had to use a walkthrough. Oh. And that is because you didn't examine anything, even though it told you to do it at the start of the game, and you had to do it to solve the first puzzle to make sure that you definitely knew, and I wrote so many jokes, and you didn't hear any of them because you didn't examine anything. And that's not that's not their fault, as angry as I am. <laughs> the way people interact has changed, and you have to accept that. If if it's a... if. If it's a point to click interface, people are going to click with one finger and they're going to left click. And so we said, OK, in that case, every everything you click on has an, uh, uh, a look at and then an interact. So or rather it has a sort of um, a look at and then maybe an examine. So the first click will be a superficial thing. And then the second thing will be that, but in a bit more detail or that, but with a joke or that, but with a reminiscence so that. If you're, when you're scouring as you do, if you're stuck, when you're scouring the background and you click on everything a second time, you get a bit more information. And you don't necessarily notice that. Sometimes there's three, very occasionally, there's three layers of it, but usually it's two. And I think two is just enough to give the impression of depth without actually writing too much stuff because you would have written two clicks for everything. You would have written two responses for anything, everything if you'd been doing a two-click interface. Um, So you um, might as well do it.
0: What game is this that you're talking about that you you uh created
2: so back in 2016 i wrote a game called nelly Kutzlot the foul fleet um uh, which is a uh, uh well i suppose it's a it's a pirate themed adventure game that started out as a, a birthday present for my girlfriend um wow. but, and then uh and spiraled out of control so i've made a couple i've made a short one which is um which you can get on steam for a very small amount of money and a longer one which has voices and stuff um, which uh, you can pay me for, uh, which is an, an option. Uh, I mean, obviously, you could you could pirate it, but that would be bitterly ironic. Um, and uh, especially since, I mean, obviously, I'm plagiarising the flip out of Ron Gilbert by making a pirate adventure game. <laughs> it's something I don't recommend. It's a, it's a terrible idea uh, to do, but by the time I realised that, I, I was already nearly finished. So um, it's quite funny. Uh, that's what I would say. But um, I, I, it's... Uh, it's a better game than I think people expect. When you see, oh, a, a British take on Monkey Island, I kind of think I don't need to play that because I, I think the thing is people go, oh, I don't really need to play that because I know what it's going to be like. And I think when people do play it, they go, actually, no, that that was that had more character and it was funnier than I thought it was going to be. And that's quite nice. But it is a uh, marketing nightmare.
0: So I'm looking at your, your Moby games. I don't know how... It says all the games you've been involved in, but I don't know how uh, true any of this is.
2: <laughs> oh, I'd love to know. What game. What are other games um, am I involved in? It says... <laughs> I'd love to know. <laughs> I, do I have a job? What's going on?
0: I mean, it says... Uh, yeah, it, says, it mentions I've seen incidents and in, uh, nearly coot a lot. Um, if on a Winter's Night, Guard Duty, Kathy Rain. Ah,
2: so I understand Catley. why I'm in all those credits. Poo-tropos. um uh, Metropolis I did work on, so I, I, I worked on the English script for Metropolis, although it was much more f- of a complete game by the time I got involved. I still gave lots of um, feedback on uh, structure and stuff, um, m- much of which didn't affect the final outcome of the game. But um, yeah, so I definitely wrote quite a few of the jokes in Metrop- Metropolis, um, and I directed the uh, the English voice cast, which I think is the only... I don't think there's any other language on it. So I, I directed the voice cast would be a more sensible way of saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other ones are, um, so I, I used to use Adventure Game Studio a lot in the early 2000s, uh, and that was a starting point for quite a few sort of indie adventure developers. YGI games are still made using Adventure Game Studio most of the time. So um, that provides a little context for anyone who's an adventure game fan. And I, I put together a module for AGS that does uh, smooth scrolling and parallax. Uh, so that will be why I've got credits in those games, just because I wrote a tiny little script that's in it. So I didn't actually have anything to do with uh, Winter's Tale or um, Kathy Rain or any of those other ones.
0: Right, right. That's interesting. So you must, I mean, do you know Francisco Gonzalez and all those yes. other sort of early 2000s?
2: Yes, I know Francisco and and Dave. I, I helped to organize um, an a annual event well we call it an annual event we haven't done it for 2 years but we normally do an annual event called adventure x in oh, is london oh is
0: that you you help organize that
2: I, I help i help organize that and i um i spend it's most everywhere. of the day standing on the stage introdu- introducing the next speaker and then mispronouncing their names it's very <laughs> embarrassing um, that's the problem with having an international uh, <laughs> event where you invite people from all over the world you then look a f- like a fool by going de mia no book? similar <laughs> bu- <laughs> 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 yeah. Bellissimo. Um, you have to do the finger thing to make it then it's Italian. Hey! Now, it's, now it's Italian <laughs> um yeah so um so I I', I, I I've helped organize that for a few years, just mainly out of enthusiasm for the genre. And, um, and that's a fun thing to do. Sadly, we haven't been able to do it since um, 2019. But maybe, I'm sure it will happen again, but uh, I don't know when. Uh,
1: so I have quite a, an interesting question, because <clears throat> recently I did an interview with uh, Rick Gush, it was uh, the writer at Westwood Studios. So I wrote like uh, D- D- Doom 2 and uh, yeah f- a few of the legend of Karandio games, if you're talking point and clicks. And he was going on again and again, of course, about how hard it was to write funny stuff for video games. Because he it said, it's, uh, it's so easy to just go, oh, let's throw everything at the wall to see what sticks. Because it's a video game. I mean, who cares? I mean, we're talking about, of course, Game from, games from 93, 94. So it was a different era
2: again. Of course, I remember Westwood games, yes.
1: Yes, they, they were pretty good, except for Legend of Kirandia 3, but we're not talking about that.
2: <laughs> we, won't, we won't talk about that. Oh, no. uh, oh, no, no, no,
1: no. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I think we still see some of those titles today some point and clicks that basically do this, that kind of flow in comedy, that kind of pace is just constant jokes, which is something that. I would say it's not a good idea because, again, even if you are, yeah, a fantastic writer of jokes, you can't just keep making jokes and jokes and jokes and jokes all the time because that becomes a bit too much. Yeah. Except if it's quest for glory four, then it's fine. (laughs) In a lot of cases, it's probably not a good idea. But yeah, jokes aside,
2: I think you're right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I want to want your take on this. So, how do you write funny? in an adventure
2: game. Yeah, well, um, I mean, obviously your listeners should play the games that I've worked on. Um, Ferrier d'Arles is another is another one um, that um, I, I've worked on some of the jokes for. That's, that's quite a short, short cheap uh, game if you want to play something that's um, a few hours long. Um, and uh, there are definitely jokes from me in all of the games we've mentioned so far. Uh, so they can decide whether they think I know anything about funny for themselves before taking what I go on to say too seriously. Um, I think, uh, it's very, it's very hard to write jokes and, um, I, I hope some, some of the jokes in the game are good. I, I know some of the games, I know some of the jokes, uh, sometimes they're, uh, cheesy or fourth war breaking, especially in the, in the, the earlier things I, I worked on. And, um, it's, it's very easy to get a joke by undermining something. I think it's very, one of the easiest ways of writing a joke is by undermining what you're trying to do. Um, uh and breaking the fourth wall is the most obvious way of doing that and you know you know games and TV shows that we love all break the fourth wall um disc 2 breaks the fourth wall during the opening cutscene yep um which is not very good in my view although i think it's a very good game that's not the best joke in the game because uh, you haven't established anything yet and already you're saying hey it's just a game yeah. uh it's i I, um, I might liken it to i don't know an awful lot about improv but um you know the fa- the the famous rules of improv being about sort of constructing the scene and not blocking and agreeing you know yes and you know adding to things and constructing things it, you can cheat in improv by by you know someone say, comes in saying you know the you know, the pirate ship is on fire you're not a pirate you're a doctor you can you can ruin the scene by and and maybe even get a laugh by undercutting what's being done and that might get a laugh but it's going to ruin the scene and i think it's a similar thing with with games not only does it not have to be a joke every time. Uh, not everything you do has to be a punchline. Not everything you do has to be funny. Um, you, you, the maybe the character and the world comes first. So if you have a joke that's really funny but undermines the the world, you can't have it. If you've got a joke that's really funny but it doesn't fit in the idiom of the character who's speaking, you can't have that joke. And that's that's you've got to put those prioritize those things. I think. Mm-hmm. And that's the fun thing about the, the writing challenge. Uh, that I enjoy about it is um, adventure games are full of locks and keys and obstacles and how do you disguise that? How do you know so for plot reasons one character needs to stop you from getting into the magic tree or whatever it is well coming up with a character driven reason why they actually don't want you to do that to avoid uh, and, and coming up with the character driven reason that the protagonist wants to do whatever they have to do is important to me because the all I was about to get very game philosophical about a very specific area of adventure games. Are you prepared to come with me on this? Yes. yes. Everyone, yes. Skip, ahead,
1: skip ahead 10 minutes on your audio. <laughs>
2: <video>. <laughs> it's about <laughs> to get real. I'm about to lay down some truths. So um, so here's why Sierra games were bad. Okay. Um, now the Sierra fans have stopped watching. I can continue. I think the the... Early adventure games, especially Sierra games, and I I, I think I'm deriving this from a quote from Roberta Williams, but I don't know. I think they conceived the games like a puzzle box, where um, the entire game is the challenge, and that's and the the experience of playing the game is you've been dropped into this vast puzzle box by a, a, a playful and mischievous game designer. Can you find your way out? Can you reach the end of the game? That's the challenge, which means that when you walk into a cave and see a gemstone, you'd better take it, because you know that it's going to be useful somewhere else in the... You know, and you'll eventually see a an alcove that looks the same shape as the gemstone, mm. and you'll put it in there, and you'll proceed, even though there is no story reason why that gemstone was there, or connects to that. It doesn't matter, because the conversation is between you and Roberta Williams, or wh- whoever the designer is, and... It is easier to write puzzles like that, and it's easier to make adventure games like that, but it is also worse than the style that I think was pioneered by LucasArts and has been picked up by other people, and I would do my best to to, to, uh, achieve, and maybe sometimes do achieve, um, which is the characters in the game are people. They have their own reasons for being there and their own things, and and the protagonist is a person and they have a reason for doing things and somehow you have to try and work that into puzzles they have to really want to prevent you from entering the place that the game needs to prevent you from entering it nothing happens you're experiencing a story essentially it's not a holistic puzzle box characters need to have internal motivations that are coherent and that's harder to write but i think it, the best adventure games make that make it work
0: yeah i think i think i agree yeah we we, we've talked before we've talked a lot about adventure games with uh with various people you know like francisco gonzalez and i think we all kind of share the same opinion that there has to sort of be reasons and it can be they can can be very abstract and strange adventure game puzzles
1: right damiano well, I, I think what Alas there was describing is, I think the contraposition, the, the yeah, the contraposition between the old school mm. and the new school. Yeah, uh, and this is something that also came came up with my in my podcast with uh, Steve Bins you,
2: I know yeah, Steve as well. The, he's he's, he's joined us at Adventure on. X, I, yes. I, not in person. I think I think we had him on Skype once. Do you remember Skype <laughs> before Zoom? Sure. No, yeah. never, no use Skype these days. Please continue. <laughs>
1: Betamax? <laughs> <laughs> that was a bad joke. That was a great example. Of
2: a bad joke. Yeah, my phone's going to be like, oh, the Skype app will be like, Skype? Oh, oh, dust peeling off. <laughs> what? Do you want to have a conversation with someone somewhere else? <gasps> Skype, that's a name I haven't heard in many years. Anyway, continue. Yeah, uh,
1: well, anyone... If- if they don't know what who Stevens is, he was the one of the main writers at Revolution Software. So he wrote uh, several Broken Sword games and several other uh, classic point and clicks.
2: <clears throat> yes, and a talented artist in his own right as well. Yes, uh, visual artist.
1: Yes, very true. Um, but yeah, basically, what when we talked about puzzles, his idea was because you know it, it comes from that kind of thinking. Uh, that's cool thinking. Was. Puzzles, puzzles in adventure games need to be an obstacle a challenge so it's just something that you put between the player and his goal and their goals to you know to I would say waste time but yeah you know what I mean to actually you know prolong the game's length basically you don't don't put you didn't put a puzzle because it had to make sense in the game in the story in the world you just put it because you were supposed to put it. That's that's what that was the challenge. That was yeah. what what the, the developers thought was fun for the people playing adventure games, not the story. They played it because they had fun solving puzzles, and that was true. I mean, it wasn't just you know a crazy idea. That was probably true because
2: I like people, I like puzzles. I do enjoy yeah, solving true, puzzles. Right?
1: I mean, people. I'm not play, anti-puzzle. <laughs> people bought those games, played those games. Now they're um, you know they became crazy later but yes I mean they liked this game uh, and yeah, the, the new school of thinking of course is different in that a puzzle needs to make sense in the game's world in the narrative for as you mentioned for a character to do something to reach their goals that this puzzle has to make sense so you, you don't really design the puzzle first and then the story you just do them I would say at, may, maybe at the same time but yeah basically the story comes first and then you try to work in puzzles that you like, that you you know, you know think are funny, challenging, whatever. But yeah, you try to make them sensible in the games. No, no. And Still. the
2: problem with that is that they're easier because the hardest puzzles, are, the hardest puzzle is a puzzle that doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And that does mean that the, what you call the new school games are easier. I think the the, the chronology of it is a little more complicated than old and new because yeah, yeah. often people say, you know, LucasArts and Sierra games, they were impossible. Monkey Island is difficult because Monkey Wrench doesn't translate, and it doesn't even translate to England. We don't call them that. So, it only... it's a pun that only works in America, and that's the reason that puzzle is difficult. It's not a wacky... I think we grew up thinking, this is one of those crazy puzzles where you use a monkey to open it. It's a pun that doesn't make sense. It's not a Sierra-style puzzle that you could just never have been expected to guess. Mm -hmm. It... oh, that's my phone making a noise. Sorry. Um, that, that's the you brought up the monkey wrench puzzle alarm which says stop
1: <laughs> stop now stop let's I hope think... we don't hear the cat mustache alarm at this point <laughs>
2: that, bad. I, that is a, it is a very bad puzzle I think it's it's wrong that, I don't think um, Jane Jensen was necessarily responsible for it I think she's distanced herself from it um, it, but that game also has some great puzzles, so I think it's... Yeah, um, great story too. I, I also I think that there's a bit of, um, I don't know if it's a bit of historicizing, I don't know if that's the word, um, a bit of bad historiography. There, I think we, we uh, look look wrongly upon the history of adventure games as adventure game fans uh, and, and designers. Maybe I'm right about this, maybe I'm wrong. Your listeners and viewers can decide. Um, there was the golden age of adventure games. Where trip where essentially the big difference was trip adventure games were included in AAA games. you know so when broken sword was at number two, Grand Theft Auto was at number one, that's difficult to imagine now that a broken sword game like a uh, broken sword like game would be number two in the UK against uh, a Grand Theft Auto like game. Yeah. Things have changed. Although the number of people playing adventure games may not have changed a great deal, games have become so mainstream that a much larger audience a much larger audience now plays games. Mm-hmm. but you can still sell it if you can still sell you know hundreds of thousands or indeed if you're very lucky millions of copies of a game you can make a living so that's okay you you don't need to be the biggest game in the world in order to survive in the indie sphere uh, sure. and that's a, a good thing but when we look back on like Curse of Monkey Island or um uh or you know Broken Sword or games like Toonstruck i think at the time 1997 we sort of thought this is it you know we've got video get put 2d point and clicks with like hollywood quality animation they look fantastic they look amazing they've got top voice actors they're absolutely fantastic and what's notable is that with the exception of broken sword who made two of them almost nobody who made one of those games published a second one of those after curse of monkey island nobody published another 2d they didn't publish another 2d animation after toonstruck they had the good the dignity to go bust immediately i think before the game was even finished because it's too expensive and we've been looking back at this as the golden age when that was mainstream you realize it wasn't the golden age it was an unsustainable period in which producers thought you could make your money back on a game that cost three million dollars Uh, And had all this kind of animation in it and discovered very quickly that you couldn't. They should not have been made They were bad commercial decisions, and I'm glad they were because they were artistically huge achievements, and they were beautiful but it is not weird that they stopped making them and We shouldn't complain about the fact that we can't have that now Although we're getting there because it's animation has become a little bit cheaper and a little bit easier and there are uh, ways we can work around that we should expect the indie the indie sphere to be able to deliver all sorts of games but we should stop complaining about the fact that they don't have hollywood quality animation and and and, you know incredibly rich cutscenes because it was never sustainable there wasn't a big enough audience for it that's why they stopped making them and i think after the i think after the 2000s we there were a lot of not very good adventure games which had had somehow forgotten many of the lessons that the teams making Broken Sword and LucasArts had learned. And I think in in puzzle design, we went back to doors locked by sliding tile puzzles, like, you know what locks a door well? A key. You know what locks a door really badly? A puzzle that anyone with no information about the puzzle can solve. That's a terrible way to lock a door. And yet... From 2001 to 2010, a lot of adventure game characters decided that a puzzle would be a great way to lock a door. It's a terrible way to lock a door. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, maybe this is because I am an Anglophone person, and it means around then, I suddenly started playing games that were written in English, not written in English, and translated into English. Whereas if you're uh, French, Italian, or German, you are probably used to playing games with bad translations. I suddenly began playing games with bad translations as Brits and Americans stopped making adventure games. And so the drop-off in quality was very abrupt. And then sort of after Machinarium, 2009, 2010, Dave Gilbert starts making games, uh, Telltale starts making some good games. It feels like we turn a corner, and now I think the last few years has been really interesting as, pe- uh, as the adventure game genre has been allowed to evolve, and there are things like The Outer Wilds and... Oberdin, which, as far as I'm concerned, are belong to the school of adventure games, but have really shifted beyond point and click and the the technical characteristics of a, of the mid '90s, but have kept all the things that all of the the feel of it, the atmosphere that I used to enjoy, the dis, the sense of dis the sense of discovery, um, mystery, humour, all of those things are still there.
1: Yeah, and also so that's my really long answer. And as I would like to mention, the, we actually saw a kind of the return of the F- FMV adventure, which was also another big reason why they actually stopped making those. Uh, FMV
2: is another good example of it was too expensive. It's yeah, now cheaper.
1: It's, and most of them were also terrible.
2: And they cheaper. were also very bad because just just you know putting Hollywood actors in it, I, it, it you, the real problem is that um, they didn't know how to direct them, I think. And uh, as soon as you've got these real in some cases, very good actors, they very quickly sense when they are wasting their time and are just there to get paid. And you can see people... I'm not going to name Christopher Walken, of course, but you can see people um, <laughs> taking the piss, frankly. I think you'd be uh, well suited they... to an FMV game. This guy's is believable <laughs> 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 and, and have you noticed that when he's playing in the video game Ripper that you were referencing there, um, he ends every scene by putting his cigar in his mouth, but never takes it out. So he starts with it in his fingers and then bites it. And then the next line, he's got it back in his hand and he bites it at the end. It's so funny. He, and he's doing it on purpose because he's taking the piss. And yeah. and a good director would have realized that was happening and reined him in. And it wasn't a good director. It was a video game designer. And we're getting to the point where, you know, people maybe appreciate that a bit more. They appreciate the directing the voices or the live action actors is part of the game maybe, maybe the other thing that happened is that story driven games bled out into the mainstream story led RPGs and story led action games are a huge thing now and people care about that sort of thing, you know Um, so the fact that Doom killed the adventure game uh, the adventure game won in the end because it turns out people want characters who they're interested in and to know why things are happening, so we win even (laughs) when they win, we win (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah, and was as, as I was saying, we actually saw a bit of a return of the FMV, but done much better. For example, The, the Bunker, I don't know if you played it. I haven't uh, played The
2: Bunker, actually. Where
1: also Steve Innes worked as a writer. It's a very low-budget kind of feel of an adventure game where this guy that wakes up in a bunker and he's alone, and he has to reconstruct what happened. Very good, recommended. And also the ship-shifting Detective, for example, that is also pretty good. Uh, yes,
2: I'm aware, I've played some of their games. I'm aware of that. The the that team, but um, I I I must admit I also like Contradiction quite a lot. Although it is um at the, there isn't maybe an element of uh, B movie about the the performance in it. Yes, uh, yeah. it's uh, as a as a sort of FMV take on Ace Attorney's um, mechanic. It works really well. It's actually a very fun game. A couple of couple of logical problems make a couple of the bits very unfair to solve. But overall, uh, I really enjoyed it. Overall, I'd, I would play another one. Very very quickly.
0: All right. So before we sort of wrap up, Alistair, how um, you're quite well known in the UK for your comedy. You that know, may be
2: an overstatement, but I'll take well, it.
0: Well, I mean, you've been on TV on the radio. <laughs> I've been um, on the
2: TV, yeah. Wanted yeah. the um,
0: posters. You know, how does that, you know, relate to your video game work? How, you know, how did how did that all happen? How did you become a comedian? How did you get into into writing games? And
2: these are good questions. Um, I don't know. Um, <laughs> they, the the um, you know, there's that saying, "Don't put all your eggs in one basket." But I, I always remember, I think it's Mark Twain's take on it, which is put all your eggs in one basket. and Watch that basket. <laughs> um, meaning don't divide your time between different things, which it, and maybe I should have listened to Mark Twain and um, focused on just one thing. Um, uh, you know, I, I went to film school and, uh, and when I was graduating from film school, uh, I, I started doing stand-up and I, and I started uh, trying to kickstart a, a video game. And I um, sort of, I don't know you, 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 it, they felt very separate and I didn't tell people from one area that I was working on another area and I, I used to try and keep a, a separation between them and then you, then you realise these are I have the same interests, you know, I've done a, a, a video, a, a skit, spoofing um, like Tex Murphy and, and Broken Sword um, and people go, oh yeah I've I, I played those games and I'm like oh, yeah, I wrote some of them um, you can buy them from me and the there's there is a crossover because you're using the same creative tools I think you know when you know if, if you you know or if you're going on to, to, to try and make jokes about a, a topical news issues, you know if you're going on TV to do that, then you've got a list of things where this is going to be on the show probably this is what's happening this week. I've got to try and think of a thing to say about each of those things. It's very similar to, uh, this is the protagonist's house and these are all the objects in it can you find an uh, entertaining funny character driven uh, story developing thing to say about every one of these objects it's, um, it's a good sort of exercise for the brain I think to try and think of those things and it's, it, it, there's, a, there's big crossovers and being a nerd is cool these days I, I'm told so uh, I, I think it's okay to, to do all of these things and see how it works. And it's quite nice to have a job you can do at home, just in case uh, it becomes illegal to go outside.
1: Uh, Isn't it yet illegal? I thought it was. It's
2: it's currently legal to to go outside and do gigs. Um, And yet some people are choosing to stay at home instead of coming and seeing me do comedy, which is unreasonable in my view. But um, it's happening.
0: That's a good segue. I mean, uh, yeah. Where can can people who are listening and watching find you? You know, uh, what's in your future? And... What,
2: what can that's they buy from thing. you? What can they buy from me? Well, yeah. um, you, you could buy Unforeseen Incidents or um, any of the Nelly lot games, although if you buy the first one, the proceeds go to charity, so I don't get a penny. Yeah, so that's uh, apart from what I hold in order to pay taxes on the income, because I'm a good boy. Um, but um, so it's inaccurate to so say that I don't get a penny. I may, I may get a penny due to rounding errors. Um, but... Um, so you could buy one of those games or you can um, you can subscribe to me on YouTube, uh, Alastair Beckett King on YouTube. I'm on Twitter at, at Mr. A-B-K, M-I-S-T-E-R-A-B-K. Uh, you can listen to my podcast, which is called Lawmen, L-O-R-E-M-E-N, where uh, me and uh, my friend James Shakespeare talk about the folklore of the British Isles and sometimes beyond. And I will... Be doing comedy wherever it's legal for the foreseeable future uh, I will probably be doing the Edinburgh fringe Festival which is a big deal in the UK in comedy circles and completely unheard of anywhere else and uh, but really very very important um and I might be I might be in a town near you if you yeah. live in England or maybe Scotland and Wales I'm safe
1: yay yeah but, <laughs> yes see now You're it's probably. your problem then. Yeah. <laughs> watch your back all right then uh yeah i want to actually we actually we want to thank alice there for his time it was really good to have you on
2: thank you for having me
1: uh yeah thanks to our viewers thanks to our listeners and yeah